You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello, friends. It is the Late Kick Extra Mailbag Edition. Once a week, we try and bring you the best possible college football content that you could ever hope to consume in January or any other time of year. I say we, even though I am solo, not even in Nashville today. I'm in my childhood bedroom down in Georgia. Not exactly the most professional acoustic setup, but we can come to you nonetheless. I have got about a million and one questions that you have asked. I'm diving right in. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast to keep it free. That's it. That's all. Uh, Let's just start scrolling here this morning. David said, ideally, what would your 12-team playoff inclusion criteria be? From Grand Rapids, Michigan. David, I wouldn't have any criteria other than you better be in the top 12. Now, you know that I wouldn't have a 12-team playoff in general if you just let me run things. Some of you think I wouldn't expand. I don't have a problem with expanding the six. I don't have a problem. Eh, I got a little problem past that, but I wouldn't have a problem with a 16 playoff. But 12 teams, a little bit too much for me. But nevertheless, if you told me I had to have 12, David, I would just say, okay, take the top 12. And then I would start hearing these voices, normally in the back of the room, say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, there's no yeah, but, there's no yeah, but. If you want to argue for auto bids for conference champs, here's my retort. Do you really think there's going to be a world where a legitimate conference champ isn't ranked in the top 12? Think about what you're arguing there. You're arguing for auto bid inclusion when you and I both know at any point, In the modern era, the playoff era, any conference champ worth its salt has been in the top 12. Most of the time they've been in the top eight or the top six, but easily the top 12. If there's a conference champ that's outside the top 12, you've had such a garbage finale to your conference slate that whatever your conference produced has no business in the playoff. And not even to mention, by the way, I mean, that's not even to mention this whole Auto bid thing where two G5 teams may be in. Josh, what do you have against G5s? Nothing. I love the G5. I wish the G5 could have its own playoff. But since we have people who have zero clue what's going on with their hands on the college football wheel, they've insisted on shoehorning 133 teams into the same level of competition. And as a result, I have to pretend that 
the AAC plays the same caliber of football as the Big Ten, and therefore their conference champ should be treated the same as the Big Ten conference champ. Why? Well, because in the NFL, every division winner gets a guaranteed playoff spot. That's the kind of that's the kind of person we're dealing with here. I don't know. Maybe you feel that way. It's not a right or wrong thing. It's just an opinion thing. I do think my opinion happens to be right. So I guess for now, it just kind of is what it is. I got a lot of questions about this. Uh, let's go with JR from Brazil, Indiana, perhaps Brazil. He said, could Ohio State have done better than Bill O'Brien? So if you missed this story, Ryan Day decided to hire Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator. Now, the reporting around that was he's hiring him and turning over play calling to Bill O'Brien. I was not crazy about this move. And Bill O'Brien is a guy who has gotten repeated opportunities from the biggest names in the business, Nick Saban and Ryan Day being the previous two at the college level that have given Bill O'Brien full reign of their offense. Now, I am not stupid enough to come here and suggest to you I see things that Saban and Day do not see. Quite the opposite. So I can be curious, but still kind of seed the possibility that they know something I don't. But you're asking me what I think. I do not think Ryan Day made the best decision here. Like I'm not of the opinion that Bill O'Brien is the best they could do. And the other thing is when you look back at his time at Alabama, you got to look past numbers. Okay, there's, there's the detractor. The detractor says, wow, Bill O'Brien had Bryce Young at quarterback. He had Jameer Gibbs at running back, and they still didn't win a national title. And then you could say, well, that just shows you how hard it is to win in college football. The other side of the equation could say, well, Bill O'Brien put up great numbers at Alabama, and maybe they didn't quite win a title, but he put up great numbers. Well, here's where I think you have to go back and look at the offense. Like Bill O'Brien's time at Alabama, I've never watched a season unfold like that before or since. I've never watched a season, I'm talking about with a playoff contending team. I've never watched a season where the average play broke down. It feels like every time, like multiple times per drive, the play called breaks down. Then the rest of the play consists of Bryce Young improvising in the backfield, five seconds, six seconds, seven seconds, and he either runs for a first down or, or makes some ridiculous throw downfield. But the point is, nothing about that moment, once the play breaks down, has anything to do with Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien's ability to install, Bill O'Brien's ability to call a play. It was just, you had the best player in college football as your quarterback, and I called it the Bryce Young offense. I didn't really call it the Bill O'Brien offense. So, yes, he'll have great players at Ohio State, too. But the thing about it is any coordinator who is brought in is going to have great players at Ohio State. I'd want to bring one in that could do something with average players. Because if he can do something with average players, then what he can do with my special players could go above and beyond anything we've seen here so far. Next up is Brian. Uh, this kind of goes back. I meant to put this in a couple of minutes ago. I'm not re-editing this, so roll with it here. It's going to sound a little wonky. Brian almost offers a continuation of the first question. He said, with that 12-team playoff, it opens the door for a G5 team to compete for a title. How realistic and how long do you think it will take for one to actually win one? Brian, they'll never win one. They will seldom advance past the first round. They will never win one. I know that you're supposed to never say never. I'm confidently telling you. Like, I would bet tons of money on the fact that 
or the idea that a G5 team will never win the national championship in this format. It's crazy, but the best shot they had was in the old format. And they didn't have much of a shot then either. But the Cincinnati team a couple of years ago, they were in. All right, Cincinnati actually got into what is the equivalent of the semifinals. They got in and they faced Alabama and they got beat by Alabama. But at least they were two wins away from a title instead of four wins away from a title. And the other thing is you are trading off access for having an infinitely tougher road. Like, yes, expanding to 12 does mean we'll have G5 team or teams in the playoff, but it also means you'll have more extremely talented rosters in the playoff. For instance, this year's LSU team, I think they ended up top 10 somewhere, but they weren't in the playoff. That team would have been in the playoff. Like that Jaden Daniels offense hanging 40 or 50 a game, they would have been in the playoff. And so instead of just beating a Georgia or just beating an Alabama and then beating a Michigan, you got to beat an LSU as well. And you cannot continue to out-scheme and and outmaneuver multiple teams more talented than you in a postseason format in football. You will not do it. And I know basketball fools a lot of people because you'll see someone make a run every year and basketball will fool you into typing things like, well, see, if only we gave the underdog this opportunity in football. You are comparing apples to bowling balls. Uh, It's going to break your heart when you do see them get this opportunity and you realize, oh, I advocated for a structure that actually removes some of the glimmering hope they once did have of winning one of these things, which is why my philosophy is totally detached. Like My philosophy is it's insane that we have all 133 teams pretending to compete for one title. When we all know that would be like Major League Baseball existing as it does with 30 teams at the big league level, but then they also take all the AAA teams and the AA teams, and instead of having like a AAA playoff in World Series or a AA playoff, they just all put them in the same pot and they say, okay, every one of you is now just called a professional baseball team. Uh, because you all technically make salaries, so you're all the same. And and the base paths are, are 90 feet, and it's 60 feet 6 inches from mound to plate, so you're all playing the same game, and you're all just going to p- compete for one title. And then, imagine how dumb that would be, all right? We all know that would be dumb. And then, imagine like uh, Columbus, Georgia just got the AA affiliate for the Braves. I don't know what they'll be called, but let's just say someone down in Columbus started speaking out because the Columbus Braves had a better winning percentage than the Atlanta Braves, but the Atlanta Braves got preferential treatment when they seeded the baseball postseason. Like anyone with a proper head on their shoulders would say, well, it doesn't really matter what your winning percentage was because you played double A competition all year. They went and played the Rockies and they went and played uh, the Marlins and like they played legit big league teams. And then what if that person in Columbus who was complaining came back and said, well, yeah, but how could you really know unless you give them a chance? Anything can happen. You see how this quickly devolves and it quickly devolved for me a long time ago in college football. That's why I've always wanted a G5 playoff. Like, I've always wanted us to just be honest about the difference in the caliber of competition and the strength of schedule, and uh, I have never gotten my way on that. So, 
what we do is we uh, take it in stride and we move along and put a smile on our face. I saw a question here I wanted to get to. Oh, here's one. Uh, the Ian Fritz Show hit me up from Oklahoma City. He said, what's the most memorable interview you've done since you started? Very ironic you ask this because I was just talking to someone about it last night. So I had Matthew McConaughey on the show a few years ago. Never met Matthew McConaughey before. Had never spoken to him before that day. And so he comes on and uh, we're scheduled. Let's just say we're scheduled to start at 11 o'clock. All right. So normally the way interviews will happen, if you're doing them digitally, is you will uh, coordinate with either the person or their representative and you will schedule time. So if it's going to be Wednesday, 11 a.m., you'll send them a Zoom link or whatever uh, platform you're using. You'll send them a link and about 30 minutes beforehand, you'll create the live chat room and then they'll get it and they'll log on right then at 11 o'clock. They'll be maybe no more than a minute or two early. Well, if you're the talent, if you're the host, you want to be there five minutes to 10 minutes early. And I was in there about probably five minutes early. So McConaughey hops in five minutes early. And so I quickly introduce myself. He introduces himself. And I proceed to just talk to the guy for like 20 minutes. And I'm worried about time. And he says, oh, don't worry about time. And I don't know if you've ever had this before where you meet someone for the first time, but it just feels like you've known them forever. That was what the entire experience with McConaughey was like. And I felt closer to him and more relatable with him than I do some people I've known my entire life. And so what stood out to me was Matthew McConaughey has this vibe in the movies that he's in, like his character and his persona when he's on air, it has this vibe. And what makes it so natural, I realized, is that's just really him. Like the Matthew McConaughey you see in movies, aside from True Detective, which I'm re-watching right now, uh, the Matthew McConaughey you see on screen, that's exactly who that guy is. So he's not really acting. I felt the same way about Denzel Washington, but I haven't had Denzel on the show. Denzel Washington just kind of plays himself. Matthew McConaughey just kind of plays himself. So we went like an hour and only probably 25 or 30 minutes of it did we use. We went like an hour just talking about all sorts of things. And that was really fun. And I don't know how I would incorporate that in, in like the modern day version of the show. But if I ever figured out a way to do it, I, I may start looping people like that in more and more because that was really, really fun. Let me hit this question from Daniel next. From Kennesaw, Georgia here. Daniel says, I'm old enough to remember Mike Shula at Alabama. I think Kalen DeBoer is a good hire. What are the chances Alabama regresses to the mean? Basically, is there a chance they become a normal good to great team, like averaging a championship per decade versus what we have seen? Bama fans just kind of recoiled at that thought. And they, well, I don't want to paint with a broad brush. I think a lot of my Bama listeners listened to Daniel suggest you only win one title per decade. And you said, that's, that's not going to work. And uh, this is what I'm talking about with the trust fund fan mentality. The trust fund fan has been spoiled his or her whole life or long enough where they have forgotten what their previous life as a fan felt like. And you don't realize if you're averaging a championship per decade, you are insanely good. You're not even supposed to win a championship per decade. You may, you may think, oh, Josh, Georgia just won two of them in a row. Yeah, and then you go have, you got to go back to the early 80s 
before they won another one. If you're averaging a championship per decade, you are flying at some of the highest altitudes the sport has to offer. It's just that what you just came off of is insane. It's impossible. What Saban did was supposed to be impossible. So the answer is, yeah, I think it's very likely. I, I think Alabama should be happy if they quote-unquote regress to that being the mean. Because if you're there, what that means is it means you're probably within reach every year. To me, that would be the goal. Unless you had a Nick Saban and you had an era where you're just accomplishing the unfathomable, to me, the goal would be do what Ohio State does, do what Georgia does, do, do what um, Alabama is kind of the exception to the rule. I think Sark is setting Texas up to be this. You want to be in position every year. You don't want to be a team that competes for a title in 2024 and then you got to rebuild in 25 and 26 and then gear up to try and reach it again in 2027. To me, it's about being good enough and recruiting well enough and hiring well enough where you're in position to make a run every year. That doesn't mean you're going to win it every year. Most years you won't win it. But be in position. Be good enough where if the brakes go your way and your health stays relatively on the plus side, you can win one. That, to me, is how you end up doing what Georgia just did a couple of years in a row. Georgia is good enough that they're at the top of the food chain talent-wise but they're not miles above and beyond anyone else. They may be just a little bit better than anyone else, or they may be in a group in any given year of the top three or four, and it's interchangeable. The point is they've given themselves a shot every year, and boom, boom, they won two of them. They may never win one again under Kirby. They may win three more under Kirby, but they're in contention every year. Uh, if Alabama can do that under Kalen DeBoer, if they can be in contention every year, then they'll be fine. I mean, that'll be a huge success to me. So let's go with Damien. Damien is next up. He said, will you be going to the Pop-Tart Bowl this upcoming season? It's, it's something I've considered, Damien. I have considered committing to the Pop-Tart Bowl. I think one of the biggest fights, I mean, a fight that I lost friends in over the past year came down to the Pop-Tart Bowl, and we got into a heated debate about best flavor of Pop-Tart. I'm a blueberry guy. And I don't necessarily trash any other flavor to prop mine up. But a lot of you got really drunk on the s'mores version of the Pop-Tart. And it's just nothing to write home about to me. And we got into a contentious fight, me and a bunch of buddies in a group text, about the s'mores versus the blueberry. And meanwhile, the game is on mute. It's during the Pop-Tart Bowl. The game is on mute. And every now and then, I just have to realize that this is a freeze frame of my life right now. It's the holiday season. It's between Christmas and New Year's. I'm sitting here. The sun has already set at like 4.30 in Nashville. It's dark outside. A uh, college football game is on. I got it on mute because I'm going back in a contentious seven-way group text with my buddies debating the best flavor of Pop-Tart. And meanwhile, I look on my TV screen a few times, and that little mascot's just there waving and smiling. And you got to think to yourself at that moment. Let me find a mirror. You walk in the bathroom and you look in the mirror and you don't like what's looking back. And it's at that point that you realize I shouldn't be here on the couch watching. I need to be in Orlando. I need to be at the Pop-Tart Bowl. And also another thought I had when the Pop-Tart itself took his own life in exchange for providing an edible version of himself at the very end. So he waves goodbye to the world. He descends into the toaster and then the edible version pops out at the bottom and Kansas State's players ate him, 
this all really happened. If you're if you're riding around with someone who loves college football but you don't really care about it, and you're just listening to this pod, this is not fan fiction, ladies, gentlemen, mothers, aunts, uncles. This really happened. Look it up. It's on the internet. You can find the edible pop tart being eaten by the winning team of the pop tart bowl in the year of our Lord. 2024? Was that New Year's Day? Anyway, that happened. So I was thinking to myself, Damien, hmm, well, if I was there down at the Citrus Bowl, I could have waited until the dust cleared and I could have meandered out on the field myself because I would have credential, I would have access, and I could go and peel some of that Pop-Tart off and I could eat it. Or I could bring a little Ziploc bag with me and I could have bagged some of it up and I could have turned an enormous profit on the secondary and or black market. Because I don't know if you're aware of how much game-used pastry sells for, but it's got to be pretty steep. Which reminds me, I was down at, where was it? It was in Tampa. It was the 2016 national title game. I went down there, I was working local news, and of course my station did not find a way to fund me, so I just paid my own way, but I had two credentials. So I took a buddy of mine, a chief meteorologist, Matt Wentz. He works in Cleveland now. Everyone give him a little shout up there. Let Wentzy know he was name dropped on the show. So we go down to Tampa to watch the Bama Clemson national title game. And you know, that's the one Clemson won with one second to go on the clock, Hunter Renfro. And so Dabo wins his first title. Well, Clemson also won their first title in like anyone's lifetime that's at the game or is at home watching. So afterwards... There's confetti all over the place, the purple and, and orange confetti. And Wentz goes and gets some bags. And I told him, hey, you might want to take that stuff home and try and sell it. So he bags some of the confetti up, takes it home. I don't think anything else of it. And we get back to the news station. We're at work next week. He calls me into the weather center. He says, hey, come in here. And I'm thinking, what's happening? Is there some is there some troubling mischief in the Gulf? Do we have a cold core low about to sweep over the south? Maybe some accumulating snow for Columbus? He goes, oh, no, no, nothing like that. Partly cloudy, high of 43 today, light winds. No, look at what I did. And he pulls up eBay, and he has put those bags of confetti on eBay, and they're selling for like $450 a bag. So believe me when I tell you that secondary pastry, game-eaten pastry, would do numbers. And I'm here to test the theory. That would be almost as big a boom to the economy as this is. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. There is no doubt, friends. I repeat, no doubt. I am at the peak of my game. I am at the peak of my career when it comes to the unpredictable ad toss in these podcasts. There is no debate about that. Next up, Seth gets us back into the mailbag. Got a good one here. He said, during Texas A&M's coaching search, you talked a lot about how the job at Texas A&M was one of the best in the country. That's true. I did. He continues, now that Nick Saban is gone, how would you rate the job at Alabama compared to other elite programs like LSU or Ohio State. So there's a really important distinction here. There's a difference between team and program. There's a difference between caliber of program and caliber of job. So with caliber of program, it's pretty simple. How good are you recruiting on a three-year rolling average? How deep is your trophy case? Or if it's not trophy case, if you're like Northwestern, for example, how well are you performing relative to reasonable expectation level? So Northwestern is not going to be winning the same amount of championships that Michigan is, but they could still be overachieving as a program. But when it comes to a job, this is where we had a really big argument. If you're new to the podcast, late last year, there was a really big debate, maybe the biggest debate I was in all year uh, collectively, and it was about how good the A&M job was. And I called it an elite job, like one of the top five jobs in America. And uh, I clearly defined what I meant by job, which I'll do again in a second. But even after I defined it many times, there was this group that could not separate what I meant when I said job versus what the program had been. Texas A&M's program, football program, clearly has not been a top five program, not a top 10 program uh, historically or recently. Texas A&M is vastly underachieved for a long time relative to what they're capable of. But when we're defining job, I made it very clear. What I need to define you as an elite job is I need, number one, big salary pool. I've got to be able to pay coaches top figure. I myself have to be paid top money there. I have to have geographically access to the top talent in the country. And it's right around me. I'm in East Texas. I've got immediate access to the South. I've got that taken care of. I've got to have the resources, both financially and infrastructure, to attract them. And A&M's got world-class facilities, and they have got a world-class wallet. And so if I've got that and I've got full administrative support, that's what I need to call myself an elite job. Because if I'm the right coach... I'm going to go there, harness those resources, and I'm going to win big. The counter to that is, well, Josh, if those resources have been there all this time, how come none of those coaches have won? Well, good question. Two reasons. Number one, they haven't been there all this time. A&M has only been what A&M is now for about a decade. Uh, Johnny Manziel had a ton to do with that. Johnny Manziel sort of kicked down this dam that was being withheld, and it's mainly money that was being withheld. And all of a sudden, once Johnny Mangel showed him what was possible, everybody opened up their wallet, and they overhauled everything. I've listened to Manziel himself talk about how that place doesn't look anything like it looked when he first got there. So that's the first thing. A&M's only been what they are now 
for about a decade. Number two, they haven't hired the right coach. That's the long and short of it. Kevin Sumlin was not that guy. Turns out Jimbo Fisher was not that guy. That's it. That's all. So now Mike Elko gets his shot. I think highly of Mike Elko, but independent of what I think about him, if he's not the guy, I'll think the same thing about A&M again. Because here's what I always think about. What would Kirby Smart do at A&M? The answer is he would crush it at A&M. He would do everything he's doing at Georgia. He would do it at Texas A&M. What would Kirby Smart do at Purdue? Uh, Kirby Smart would not win titles at Purdue. That means the determining factor in that equation is not Kirby Smart. The determining factor is what you inherit or how good a job it is. Texas A&M is an elite job, but unlike Georgia, they have not hired an elite candidate to put in the driver's seat. That's it. Once they do, or if they just did with Mike Elko, which time will tell on, then they will win big. But the question was not about A&M. It was about Alabama. I just got sidetracked there. I think Alabama is another top five job. There is going to be pushback on that that would suggest, no, Bama's not a top five job. Saban just made it what it is today. So I know what you're implying there, but I'm actually going to disagree while agreeing with you. So let's say for the sake of argument that you're right, which you're not when you say that, but I'm going to cede to your argument. Let's just say you're right. Let's say Alabama had been a total poverty program before Saban got there. And let's say that Nick Saban literally built it from scratch. He did to Alabama what Bobby Bowden did to Florida State. Like, they weren't even on the radar before then, and then he made them what they are over time. All right? Let's say that's true, which I don't think it is. But let's say it's true. All right, so Saban doesn't stay there five years. He stayed there 17 years. And he just walked out the door, and this is a very important thing to note, he walked out the door either still at his peak or just past his peak. He had won a national title in the last three years. He just won the SEC championship this year. He was in overtime of a semifinal game with a trip to the national title on the line this year. So that's that's not staying past your prime. That's being right there either at the apex or just past the apex. And the reason that's important is because if you stay well past your prime, think Paterno at Penn State, think Bowden at Florida State, it can erode the caliber of the program, which can impact how good the job is. Saban did the opposite. He walked out on top, and that means the Bama program is still elite as it was when he was there you know, over any length of time. Well, here's why that's important. Now we're trying to define how good the job is. So even if it used to be poverty, what did we say we need to make an elite job? What do we need? We need everyone all in administratively. They clearly are at Alabama. They don't ever say no to anything. We need really, really good facilities. They've got it. It's insane there. I've been there a number of times this past year. They need a massive salary pool to hire not only assistants, but to hire personnel of all types. They've got that. I doubt Kalen DeBoer will be told no on anything. I mean, Washington nearly offered him $10 million a year, and he still turned it down to go to Alabama. I need access geographically to recruiting hotbeds. I need to be able to get the talent. They've got that. Here's the one thing that's being disagreed on right now, and that is how big a player can Alabama be in NIL? I think they can be as big a player as they want to be. The misconception is because they didn't spend money under Saban that they just can't spend money. I happen to believe, and I've got this on pretty good authority, 
they didn't spend the money because they knew they didn't need to spend the money because players would go and play for Nick Saban for pennies on the dollar of what it would take to get them to come play for your team because that's what it meant to go play for Nick Saban. But that doesn't mean they didn't have the money. It just means they didn't need the money. Now, if they see they need the money, they'll step up. Like Their NIL coffers, I think, will double very, very quickly at Alabama if they need to. So if we've got all those boxes checked that, in my opinion, it takes to form an elite job, it doesn't really matter whether they came along in the past 10 years or the past 100 years. If they're present today, that makes it an elite job. And I think Kalen DeBoer knew that. And that's why I also talked to you at great length right after Saban retired about how misguided this notion was that nobody wants to follow a legend. Plenty of people would have no problem following a legend, guys. Competitors just think differently than that. Uh, Kalen DeBoer did not look at Alabama and say, ooh, am I following in the footsteps of Nick Saban? How will I ever measure up? Kalen DeBoer looked at Alabama and had a, a checklist of about five or six things that he needed checked, and they all got checked, and they're probably close to what I just asked about, and they got checked, and at that point he said, I don't care who I'm following. If I'm getting what I think I need to win, it's an elite job, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to win just like the previous guy did. Let's move it along. Joey is up next. Joey asked, why is it the 24-7 sports always finds ways to move players that commit to Tennessee football down in the rankings? Uh, The answer is they don't. They don't do this. They don't do this for any team. I know a lot of teams allege this. Well, a lot of fans allege this. I have even been privy to hearing some coaches that complain about this. I can tell you this. It won't change anyone's mind, so I'm not going to waste a lot of time on this. I've told you before, I used to think this before I worked here. I used to think this. I thought there were grudges and biases. I thought they were trying to prop certain teams up. And then I got behind the curtain and I realized, wow, it's not nearly as dramatic and and deceitful as I thought it would be. Uh, They don't do that. What I found is the same thing I'm going to say to you. Make sure you chart the movement of every player in every one of your classes. And if you continue to come out year after year with 20 of your 25 players being bumped down after they commit to you, if that continues cycle over cycle, then come to me because you've got somewhat of an argument. But you'll find it doesn't happen like that. What you'll do is you'll go back and look over your chart and you'll find it roughly panned out 50-50, you know, 55-45 either way. Oh, it's just that I don't remember the guys that got bumped up because those don't fit my argument and I want to believe someone's out to get me, and therefore, oh, maybe my perception was a little bit detached from reality. That's what I'm going to humbly suggest. And like I said, I know it won't change anyone's mind, but there is no conspiracy internally here. And you know that's true coming from me, because if there was an internal conspiracy, do you know how much pleasure I would take in kicking over that ant bed and exposing the truth and dragging management for conducting a corrupt organization? I would do that in a heartbeat. Those of you who know me know I would do that in a heartbeat. So I am the watchdog. I'm on the inside. I'm down here in the bear cage looking out for you. I just regret to inform you, no, that's not happening with Tennessee. I answered that about Florida State the other day. That's not happening with Florida State either. Um, Again, there are plenty of other things that are wrong in this world, but that doesn't happen to be one of them at the present time. 
Eden from Covington, Louisiana. He said, you're going to be storm chasing this season? Looks like it could be an active one. You already know the answer to that, my friend. Yes, I will be storm chasing this season. If we have to do shows on the road, I will be storm chasing. Last year, we got to several states, Oklahoma, um, Upper Midwest, Iowa, Illinois was where we saw the first tornado of the season, Arkansas. Uh, deadly tornadoes, actually. We intercepted in Arkansas. Mississippi, always a hotbed. Rolling Fork, Mississippi. That place still has not recovered from a high-end EF4 that hit down there. You know what I've never been able to do, though? I've never gotten up to the Dakotas or Minnesota to chase. Um, nor have I ever chased in Nebraska, which is crazy, considering we've been everywhere else. So, yeah, I still got some some bucket list states to check off this year. I'm sure that is going to happen. How about Coach Smith from Cuthbert, Georgia? I, Coach, you may be surprised to know that I have spent a lot of time in Cuthbert, Georgia. Back in the day, uh, we used to do a thing where the church I went to in Columbus, we sent a preacher down to Col- uh, down to Cuthbert rather every Sunday morning. We rotated because they didn't have a permanent minister down there. So my dad was one of the three or four who would rotate in and out down in Cuthbert. So about once a month, I'd be uh, I'd be attending services down there in Cuthbert, Georgia. So anyway, that's not what Coach asked. He asked. Does Miami have to make the playoff this season for it to be considered a successful season? You know what? I think the answer may be yes there. There is a world where they don't make the playoff, but they're improved, you know, because they just went from five and seven to seven and five. So technically, coach, if they go eight and four, or even if they go nine and three, that's an improved season. That's an improved month. But if they do fall short of the playoff when they just got Cam Ward at quarterback in a 12 team playoff era, and a world where Clemson still may be down or maybe off the top rung of the ladder, and Miami will always think that they can beat Florida State because they don't think the talent gap is that wide between the two, which it's not, by the way. The team at Florida State has been better, but the overall talent roster, there may not be a massive gap between the two. I think that if they don't make the playoff, yeah, they will view it as a failure. Year three was the one they were all circling last year when I was down there. Uh, It was 2024. 2023, we think we'll be improved. We hope we can do some things. And they did, but it was an up and down season with a little more down than up. 2024 is the one they circled. And they got good reason to circle it. And they didn't even know that Cam Ward was going to be available at that time. So they got him, too, from Washington State. I think that, yeah, if they don't make it, I don't think that's an unfair thing to say that they would view the season as a failure. Let's go with Rob from Columbus, Ohio. He said, Sunday, you addressed the hilariously bad playoff schedule for next season, but how would you change it? If the NFL wants to have games on Saturday, the NCAA likely cannot compete with them for a Saturday night national championship because of viewership. It's a bad schedule, but their hands might be tied. Rob, you're right. In the current format, their hands are tied. That's why they have it on a Monday night. Uh, When I had Clatt on the show last month, I thought he threw out a great proposal. I'll mention it to you one more time. He said, hey, if we won a Saturday night national championship, but the NFL's in the way, why have we not cut them in on revenue from the playoff itself? Why have we not brought the NFL in as a business partner to get them to be more cooperative to maybe taking that Saturday and putting an early afternoon NFL playoff game and a mid-afternoon NFL playoff game And then whoever has the mid-afternoon NFL playoff game is also the network that has college football's national title game that night. And so not only do you have a Saturday night national championship game, you've got a massive NFL playoff game serving as a lead-in to it. 
as we call it in the business. The lead-in is just whatever comes on before you. And if you've got the most precious commodity in all of television, an NFL playoff game that is serving as the lead-in for your national championship game on its native night, Saturday instead of Monday, you don't think that would be worth the trade-off with the NFL and cutting them into that revenue? Of course it would be. But I don't think that anyone has ever thought of it in the actual decision-making room. I don't think anyone's thought of it because I don't think many ideas that are good come out of that room to begin with. So, no, Rob, we can't make it happen under the current format. That just de-incentivizes keeping the current format, if you ask me. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Let's go to Norman, Oklahoma. That's where Blaine is. He says, what would the fan duel odds be on Jesse versus Colin in a boxing match? Uh, Colin would be a minus 2,000 favorite. During COVID, me and Colin went to the same gym, and we were like the only two people in the gym. And Colin would go in there and do a radically different workout than me. He would go in there and just box with the punching bag. And I'd do actual weightlifting. And Colin can lift, too. In fact, he's put on some really good size lately. But I've seen director Colin box before, and I have not seen producer Jesse box. I have seen him pull a hamstring in men's league softball but I have not seen him box. So there may be some other athletic contests where I would favor producer Jesse, but boxing would not be one of them. Landon from Houston, Texas up next. He said, will Texas be the new top dog in the SEC? The way they're recruiting certainly seems like they're headed in that direction. Landon, Texas isn't even recruiting the best out of the teams that are going to be in the SEC, which is not a shot on Texas. It just means that there's a big difference between being top dog and being competitive, being one of the top teams which is where I'm absolutely willing to go. Texas will be one of the top teams in the field. But, I mean, you said top dog, which is ironic. Because pound for pound, Georgia is still acquiring talent at a little bit better clip than Texas is. Not much better, but at a little bit better clip. So what Texas is going to do here is they're going to walk in and um, they're going to prove naysayers, I guess, wrong on both sides. Anyone who thinks Texas is about to run the SEC is wrong. Anyone who thinks the SEC is going to swallow Texas up is wrong. What Texas is going to be is a player in Tier 1. They're going to be right up there uh, where not very many teams can hang out annually. I do believe that about them. I think it about Oklahoma. I really think I know it about Texas. And so, like we said earlier, they'll give themselves a shot every year. 
I am really kind of curious to see what the adjustment period is for both sides. How does Texas adjust to the grind, which absolutely exists when it comes to an SEC schedule, whether people like it or not? And how does the SEC adjust? Because that's one more tough game in that grind. So a lot of fun, exciting times ahead for uh, the SEC and college football in 2024. Okay, I need you to subscribe to the pod. That's it. Subscribe to the pod. A five-star review is wonderful, and I love reading the comments, but the subscription, that's what helps. And I know a lot of you are listening right now, and you're not subscribed because I see our numbers. So I appreciate it, and we're going to keep the show free. Just do me a small favor and subscribe to the pod and subscribe to the Late Kick YouTube channel. That's all I need you to do. I appreciate you guys so much. Make sure you share it with five friends along the way. Yes, it's January. Yes, the casuals would call it the off-season. But we are not casuals, are we? No, we are not. We do this year-round. So for producer Jesse, director Colin, and Bradley, the associate, cutting this up and getting it out today, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your day, and God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.